Welcome to New Life, everybody. Hey, is everybody having a good day? Come on, come on. Glad to have you guys here. Wow, I want to say hello to all of our first-time guests that might be worshiping with us. Uh, whether you're here in our main auditorium, or you're down in the venue uh, here in Kearney, or you're out in North Platte, I want to say a big hello to all of you guys that are worshiping with us today in all of our venues at the exact same time. So I know that when you woke up this morning, if you're here in Kearney, then you, were, you woke up to a massive blizzard, which is probably one of the reasons why we have a little extra space um, in our seats today, because of how deep and thick the snow is. And I would hate to see someone get stuck in snow that deep. You know what I'm saying? So, man, you know, so if you're watching with us online today, then I just want to say, um, well, hello. That's what I want to say. <clears throat> That's really kind of all I was trying to do, actually. Um, so, anyways, we do have a number of people to watch online. Um, it's, it's growing. Uh, so whenever you are on vacation or you're sick or one of your kids is sick or um, you're on a business trip and it takes you away from New Life, please know that you can still join us live like I did a few weeks ago all the way from Jerusalem. You can join us live from wherever you are and you can worship along with us. Pretty exciting days that we live in. The other thing that you can do is if you go to mynewlifechurch.com, you can actually go back and see the archived sermons. They're videoed there. They're also podcast there. You can go back and get your hands on those things and catch up on a teaching series or, you know, take a Sunday and go, I really love that. I want to watch it again. You can do it again if you go to mynewlifechurch.com and you can gain access to all of those archived videos there. The great thing about that is you can actually tell a friend to come and watch. So if you've got a friend who uh, maybe hasn't been connected to church for a long time or ever, and they're a little hesitant to walk through the doors of New Life with you because they don't really know what they're going to walk into like a lot of first-time guests do, please direct them to our website and have them join us for a worship service there first. And that will help, um, that will help people take that step. So just want to say, say that uh, use, those, use those services. Okay. Well, today we're in our current teaching series called Essentials. We're reading through the top 100 stories of the Bible. We're preaching on only 20 of them. Can't preach on all of them. Um, or otherwise the series would go much longer than what it already is going, okay? Um, so today we're going to jump in. We're going to talk a little bit about King Solomon, the guy who was considered to be, God promised him to be actually, the wisest man ever, ever. And it's part of the reason why we still talk about Solomon today. Solomon wrote some books of the Bible of which you might be interested in, such as Proverbs, um, a book full of um, small statements that bring incredible wisdom to your life. That was just one of his attributes. Solomon, uh, for the most part of his life, was, uh, was a godly man as well and followed out godly principles. And I think that was what was in his heart, and he wanted to do that. And he kind of went astray a little bit on the end. But how did he even get into power? And that's kind of where we're going to uh, start today. Before we do that, though, there's a lot of intelligent people. And what I want you to know today is that intelligence and wisdom, earthly intelligence and earthly wisdom are two different things. And they're even different than godly wisdom. There's a lot of intelligent people that have been on our earth. I think of one that we're um, you know, benefiting from today. His name is Edison. Um, if you know what Edison um, you know, invested and created uh, that we're enjoying right now, what, what would it be that Edison created? All right, intelligent man that allows us to have a light bulb instead of a bunch of candles burning all over the place. 
He also, for some of you that are, you know, knowledgeable in this area, he created DC power. And he wanted our entire nation to run on DC power, which, which would have really altered a lot of the way that life is done today. Um, it just would not have been efficient. He, so what, com- what came along was another gentleman that's incredibly smart, Tesla. He created AC power. Right, come on, someone, get, someone loves Tesla. Um, here, in our, here in our main campus, we have a Tesla lover. So um, that's awesome. Just wanted to let you know uh, if you heard a clap. So anyways, so Tesla comes along, creates AC power, which is thoroughly exciting. It's what you're hearing me through. Without AC power, you're not hearing me. The lights aren't on uh, like they are. Your cell phone doesn't charge. You know, your laptop doesn't charge. There's so many things. So he was also an intelligent guy. I think about the, the NASA Apollo moon launch team. Those guys were pretty intelligent. Does anybody want to, you know, give a shout out for them at all? Okay, we have three people that, that like them. And they all sound like middle-aged males. So um, just an observation. Just an observation. Um, all right, so... Those guys take a group of people from the earth and land them on the moon. I think that's intelligent. All right. Um, last but not least, you got guys like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, that wanted to take the computer and make it into this small thing, stick it into the hands of every single person. How many of you guys have a computer in your hands even right now? If you have a smartphone, you got a computer in your hands, all right? And so there's been all kinds of intelligence, but you do realize intelligence doesn't make a person wise. I mean, there's some intelligent people, right? Intelligent people that can send people to the moon, but they can't keep marriages together. You got intelligent people that can take a computer, make it as small as it is, that can fit inside of your own pocket, but they can't even manage their own money. Now, this, again, we're talking about earthly intelligence and earthly wisdom. Earthly intelligence, um, you know, many consider that to be something like fluid. Um, as you get older, earthly intelligence seems to kind of dwindle. Have you ever met someone that was older in years that was, you know, someone you respected and they looked at you one day and they said to you, you know, with kindness in their heart, I've forgotten more things than you've learned? Yeah, you've ever, <laughs> you feel that way? We've got a couple in here that would say, I've forgotten more things than you've learned. Yes, and it's true. So that means intelligence over life, it kind of, it kind of dwindles. Now, earthly, earthly wisdom is something, though, that it, it's more crystallized. It's something that's gained from your earthly knowledge, from your earthly experiences. And that's something that continues to grow. It like it ages. The older that you get, the better it becomes. But today, I've got something for you that we're going to talk about beyond any earthly intelligence or earthly wisdom you can get your hands on. It's called godly wisdom. Godly wisdom has this unique ability God has to take earthly intelligence and earthly wisdom and slam them together and then exponentially build on top of those things that you could never gain in the classroom or you could never gain even if you spent 500 years on this earth. Godly wisdom is something that goes beyond your years. It goes beyond your knowledge. It's something where God speaks to you and gives you the ability to make a decision that otherwise you might take you a long time to make and you'll probably make the wrong one. God has the ability to give you wisdom on how to raise your kids. God God has the, has the ability to give you wisdom that's beyond your years on how to manage your business, on how to handle your finances in a way that honor him. And the list goes on and on and on. I want to talk to you about a man that gained so much godly wisdom. We still talked about him today. His name is Solomon. He's the wise guy, if you will. 
And 1 Kings is where we're going to be looking. We're going to kind of really look at 1 Kings chapter 1, 2, and 3, as well as we'll look at some stuff in Chronicles that really kind of talks about his life. But as, as the custom of this teaching series, it starts with a story. It all starts with a story. Solomon is one of King David's sons. Now, if you don't know who King David is, last week we talked about King David. Last week we talked about you know, the giants that you have in your life and the giants that need to, that need to be killed. Anybody, anybody was here for, uh, for that message at all? Okay, you were here. And if you were here, you remember Pastor Ed, you know, a man like no other, modeled for us what nine feet three inches really looks like, towered over me, right? I mean, it was massive. It was just you know, I, how could I even fight a Goliath like that? And God gave you some understanding of how to tackle and to trust him that if he can kill giants like that, he still kills giants today. Well, David was the original giant slayer. Now, David, David became the king. He became the king of what we now know as Israel, all right? It was broken into two parts, but what we know as Israel, he became the king of that. David ruled over all of it. David had a lot of different children, as many children as he had. It seems as if he had struggles. You know, for the amount of children he had, he had equal the amount of challenges. David had challenges where one of his kids drove him out of the kingship, took over, drove him, drove him out of the city, drove him out into the wilderness. And he had to, he had to find his way back and get his way back into uh, the authority of the king. David, as he grew older in life, he grew more frail. He, uh, it says that he was even so cold that they couldn't even bring enough blankets to even warm him. So as he got older in life, his body started breaking down. Guess what? That happens for all of us. It happens for all of us. And in that frail, old state of his life, he had another one of his sons. Adoniah is the way you pronounce it. Adoniah. That son, he came and he decided, you know what? I'm going to become king. My father's frail. He's weak. He stays in his bed almost all day long. You know, we need a king and it's about time that I do it. And he got 50 friends around him. He got some of the advisors of King David. Um, He got some chariots and they started riding through the town, riding through the city, you know, shouting, shouting that, uh, you know, he would be the king and that long live the king. And people were like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. This came out of nowhere. And in that, in that time period, he went out of the city, Adoniah and all of his followers, they went out to celebrate the fact that he now is becoming the king. All of this was happening. David is in his old age, frail, doesn't even realize it's taking place. Now, what's interesting about that is that was not the man that was going to be the next king. God had already spoke to David. David had already spoke with his own mouth and said, my son Solomon is going to be the next king. So if, you, if you've been with us at all around here or maybe you have, you've read you know, some portions of the Bible, you might have heard about the name of a woman called Bathsheba. Now Bathsheba was a woman that David you know, uh, had an inappropriate relationship with. Um, he actually went on to kill her husband. Yeah, brutal story. Brutal story. Takes her to be his wife. Um, they have a child. That child is called Solomon. It's out of that destruction that God brings about this young man, Solomon. David is raising him, and David says, that's the man who's going to be the next king. So Bathsheba notices what's happening with Adoniah, and she realizes that if he becomes the king, that we, Bathsheba and her son Solomon, we're going to become criminals. 
We will probably become either exiled away, driven into the wilderness, or we will be killed as a threat to the current king. I can't stand for that. Uh, I know that David promised something else. So she goes into King David's room and gets his attention, starts telling David about what's happening in the city and that, you know, Solomon's brother has announced that he's the king. He's got some of your followers. He's got people all rallied up. They're out there celebrating. Did you realize that, David? Did you change your mind? Did something happen that I didn't know about and Solomon's not supposed to be the king? While she's saying that, a prophet, Nathan, he comes in and he starts telling David the exact same story. Now, David, as the king, hears it from two different reports and says, hold on, we're taking action. That can't be. I've already made a promise before God. I heard God. Solomon is to be the next king. So David turns to the prophet Nathan, and he says, I want you, Nathan, to lead this, and I want you to get a couple of guys. I want you to go out, put Solomon on my donkey, ride him through the town. I want people to see him riding on my donkey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to establish Solomon as the next king. And I want you to take him, and I want you to anoint him as king. I want you to blow the trumpet, and I want you to yell as loud as you can and keep chanting it. Long live the king! Long live King Solomon! Long live King Solomon! Long live King Solomon! And they went and they did this. And they brought him back, and they sat him down on the throne, David's throne, which now had become Solomon's throne. And that day, that very moment, while David's still alive, Solomon gets established as the king. It says in the Bible that the city erupted with such joy as they were shouting, Long live King Solomon! That the Bible says the earth itself was shaking because of the noise. It was like the very first rock concert. The place is shaking as people are celebrating. Now, what's interesting about that, that's inside of the city. Adoniah, with all of his guys, they're outside of the city. And it says they hear this noise. Wow, what's all the commotion? What's all the celebration, they say? What's happening in the city? So stop for a moment. Can you not see this young man, Adoniah, saying, you know what, I bet, I bet you what's happened is the people heard I've been established as the king. I bet you the whole city's celebrating because I've become the king. I bet you that's what's happening. And right about that moment, knock, 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 door opens up, messenger comes in. And the messenger says to Adoniah and all of his people, he says to them, hey, just want to let you guys know, newsflash, um, David just anointed Solomon as the king. Solomon's sitting on the throne. Solomon is the king. They scatter, man, like roaches when the light gets turned on in an infested house. Those guys just scattered, left Adoniah just standing there, having to go back to his brother Solomon and beg Solomon for his own life because of his own treason that he was fulfilling. Solomon looks at him and says, yeah, man, you are wicked. But I'll tell you what, if you live righteous... And you stay away from evil. I'll spare your life. Well, that didn't last very long. And as you look, as you continue to look at the story, um, that, that brother ends up doing some things and he ends up losing his very own life. And Solomon finds that there are many challenges after David dies. That when he assumes this role completely, when he doesn't have the father there to help him think through things, he has to deal with a number of difficult situations. You'll have to read about those in 1 Kings chapter 2, of one of which is how he has to deal with his very own brother. 
So when we jump into 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is fully established as the king. He's been now managing the kingdom. He's having to make critical, important decisions. And it says that he loves God and he wants to worship God. So he goes to make a big sacrifice to God. And when he goes to make this big sacrifice to God, God meets with him in a really powerful, supernatural way. It says that that Solomon fell asleep, that God literally, in the moment of sleep, spoke to Solomon in the form of a dream. And check out this question that God offers Solomon. Solomon, hey, I'll give you anything, basically. What do you want to ask for? Wow, what if God came to you and he said to you, I'll give you anything, whatever you want to ask for, just ask it and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? Some of you would ask for things like, well, man, I want my mortgage paid off. Pay my mortgage off. Or, God, could you see fit to see my bank account maybe increased by a few extra zeros? I promise if you do it, I'll bless others. God, would you, would you, you know, take my mom who is ill and would you make her healthy? Or, God, maybe would you, would you cause me to live a really long life? Like, I don't know, like maybe, I don't know, like two, three hundred years. Come on, God, you can do that, right? You'd be tempted to ask for a lot of things. A lot of those things would just be temporary and foolish. Solomon recognized that he needed to ask for something that was way beyond any of those things. And he says to God, God, I need wisdom to lead your people. That moved God's heart so much that God says, not only will I give you that wisdom, but I'm also going to give you honor and I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to make you a king that other kings want to come to and they want to glean from and they want to learn from. I'm going to make you the king really above all other earthly kings. Wow, that was awesome. Jackpot, Solomon. You did it. Good move, man. That's a, that's a heart after God. Shortly after that, that whole wisdom gets tested and it gets challenged. It happens, it happens really kind of like this in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon's sitting on the throne governing and ruling. And one night, the Bible says that two prostitutes who shared a house together, who had both had young boys, similar age, they had just been born, they were infants basically, And these two babies in their infancy were sleeping next to their mothers like they would do customarily in that time period. And while they were sleeping, one of the mothers rolled over basically on top of or at least partially on top of one of the infants, smothered the baby to death, wakes up in the middle of the night to recognize that her newborn baby is now dead, suffocated, no longer breathing. So what does the one woman do? something that's completely irrational. She takes her her dead baby, goes over to the other woman while she was sleeping, replaces the infant, takes the live baby, and goes back to bed. In the morning when they wake up, obviously you can tell already what's going to happen. There's going to be extreme chaos in the house. I mean, that woman who wakes up with the dead baby is just frantic. She she's, would do what any other woman would do. You know, she's screaming. She's crying. She's, she's holding the baby. She's, you know, wake up, baby. Come on. What's going on? But in the process of holding and weeping over that baby, she looks to the facial features. She smells. And she recognizes instantly, this is not my baby. Then, then you can guess what happens next. <laughs> She turns to that other woman and goes, 
hey, you've got my baby. You swap the babies in the middle of the night, and there's this massive argument that's going on all the way to the point where it, it escalates so that it has to be brought before the king, Solomon. So here's Solomon. He knows nothing of the story. In walks these two women. This is exactly the way it goes down. One woman's holding the baby. The woman who had, you know, killed the other one. And she's saying, hey, this is my baby. I don't know what this other woman's saying. She rolled over on her own child in the middle of the night, suffocated and killed him. And now she wants to take this kid from me. And the other woman's like, no, King Solomon, that's, that's completely wrong. That's my son. I, can, I know it is. That's the face of my son. It smells like my son. That woman swapped babies in the middle of the night. What would you do? How do you handle it? Tell you what King Solomon did. He called for a sword. Bring me a sword. So they bring him a sword. He stands there. Give me the baby. He holds the baby and he holds the sword. You can almost kind of picture this kind of a thing happening. He holds the baby, holds the sword, and he goes, This is my ruling. I'm going to have this baby cut in half, and each of you are going to get half of it. Instantaneously, one of the moms says, No, 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 don't kill the baby. Don't kill the baby. Give it to her. Let her have the baby. Let the baby live. And the other one says, yeah, okay, that sounds fair. Neither one of us should get to have this child. Kill the baby. Cut the baby in half. And then the king goes, good. I've just made my decision. The mom who is willing to let the child be raised by someone else is the real mother. The mom who wants the baby to live is the real mother. And then the Bible says that the whole nation of Israel heard about it and recognized his godly wisdom. And they were in awe of him. Now this is just the beginning of Solomon's days. How would you like to start out your rulership with something like that? (laughs) Read chapter 2 and you're going to discover some of the other things he had to start out with. In that process, in that story, there are three critical things that I want us to look at. We call them essential truths. We call them basically essential truth. They're building blocks like in the wall behind me. And these, each one of these blocks represents an essential truth that we're talking about during this teaching series. We are building over these 20 weeks a spiritual foundation and a spiritual wall that we can lean on, we can glean from, and we can gain from in our lives. Let me tell you about a few spiritual uh, truths, essential truths that we can glean from this story. The first one is this. You have to ask God for wisdom. This is what Solomon does. Take a look in, in uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Solomon says, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I might lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours, God? Solomon comes to God and says to him, You have a great people. Who in the world can lead these people unless you give me the wisdom and the knowledge to do it? Which is something he was saying, it's beyond the intelligence I can gain on this earth, and it's beyond the wisdom I can gain on this earth. God, this is something only you can give. Now, what's, what I find so interesting about Solomon coming and asking God of this is that David spoke to Solomon twice. You can read about it, First Kings 1 through 3. David spoke to Solomon, his son, twice and said, Solomon, you'll know how to handle this situation. Why? Because you're wise. Solomon, you'll know how to handle this other situation I'm telling you about because you think, you think in a very wise and a logical way. Solomon, you are a man of wisdom. Now think, to, think with me. Have you ever received any accolades in life? 
Has anyone ever told you, you're a good businessman or a good businesswoman? Has anyone ever looked at you and said, you're a great mom or you're a great dad? Has anyone ever said anything about you? Like, you're a great singer. I mean, your singing is incredible. Or anyone come to you and say, you are so smart with math or so smart with English. You're, I mean, you're the smartest person I know. There's something interesting that happens in the youthfulness of our life. And even, in, even as we grow older, when people give us accolades, we don't know necessarily how to handle those. And many times they can go straight to our head. And now when someone says to you, like, sometimes they say to me, like, you're a great communicator, Jeff. Then I might think, well, I don't need to work on communication skills ever again in my life. Everybody just thinks I'm a great communicator. I don't have to read another book on preaching. I don't need to go to another class. I don't need to listen to other people preach and learn and glean from them. If someone said to you, you know, like, and you're the best business person I've ever met before. You might go, well, then the practices that I'm, really, I'm doing business with today are perfect. I'm going to do them for the rest of my life. There's something about accolades in our youth that causes us sometimes to never seek future growth. But that's not what Solomon does. Solomon recognizes that the wisdom that his father is talking about isn't just the godly wisdom. It is, Solomon, you have earthly intelligence. You have earthly wisdom. And what Solomon recognizes is that I've got to go to God because I need wisdom that's beyond this earth if I'm going to accomplish what God's called me to. And let me say something to you. No matter who you are or what you're doing, I could be speaking to a room today full of pastors I could be speaking to a room full of retired pastors, people that have loved God and served God for generations. One thing is true about every single person on this planet. We all need godly wisdom. And we never stop needing it. So I don't know who you are. I don't know all of you. I don't know everything that you do. But I know this. No matter what you're doing, you're going to want to ask God for wisdom. To do that, you have to humble yourself. Humble yourself. You can't be, you can't be like the, like the classic male figure on you know, planet Earth today in America that goes, I don't need to ask for driving directions. I know how to get there. I have a smartphone. I'll pull it up myself. Yes, I typed the wrong address in. Sure, it's taking us to the wrong state, but I'll still figure it out. No, I don't need the instructions. The box has 12,000 pieces. I can put 12,000 pieces together in 45 minutes. No, throw the instructions away. I know where every piece goes. Yeah, I know where the triple A hooks to the triple C. And I know that that little metal thing goes in. I can figure it all out myself. Four days later, you're still trying to do it. We have this thing inside of us. And women, you're in the same boat. We have this desire to be independent and to know what the right answer is and to not seek help from anyone. But if, you, if you're going to find godly wisdom, you're going to have to humble yourself and ask. Because Solomon humbled himself and he asked God for a wisdom that's beyond what you can gain on this earth, other people recognized. Take a look in 1 Kings chapter 3. It said that when all Israel heard the king's decision, remember of the two women, women and the one baby? When they heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom that God had given him for rendering justice. Two things. The people were in awe, and they noticed the wisdom. You know what's going to change our community? Is that when people are in awe of your Christianity, when people are in awe of the wisdom in which you live your life in a culture that continues to become more wicked um, and becomes more difficult to navigate through, the, the world will follow a Christian who is full of godly wisdom. 
Godly wisdom is what's going to help your testimony in this world be broadcast in a way that causes people to be in awe of the God in which you serve and cause people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If it wasn't just for that reason alone, you need godly wisdom so that you can have a godly testimony that the world would see Jesus living in you and through you. You need godly wisdom for many more things on top of that, though. So first essential truth, you got to ask God for it. The second essential truth is that only God gives wisdom, though. So look in 1 Kings 3. It says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. I forgot to mention that one. How many would have asked for the death of their enemies? Don't raise your hand. I will give you what you asked for, Solomon. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or what? Ever will have. That's why we're still talking about him. Because he, he operated with and was filled with the Spirit of God in such a way that he was obedient to God's ways. And God's wisdom penetrated his own heart and it permeated from his heart. God's wisdom flowing from him. Only God gives that kind of wisdom. So many of us, we seek wisdom for earthly gain and not eternal gain. So many of us seek earthly intelligence and earthly wisdom so that we can look successful, so that we can climb the corporate ladder, so that people can sing our praises, so that our influence you know, uh, rules over others, so that we can gain personal wealth. You can do that. That will be shallow in the end. It'll leave you longing for something else. And many times, when it leaves you longing for something else, you're so old, you can't do anything about it. Teenagers that are in this room, listen to me. You give your best to junior high, to high school. College students, hear me, wherever you're at. You give your best to grow at that school and give your best to gain in earthly intelligence and earthly wisdom. But don't ever be duped to believe that that's where it ends. Come to God above all of those things and ask God, God, would you fill me with godly wisdom that incorporates this earthly intelligence and this wisdom that comes from this lifespan that's short, like a vapor, the Bible says. And would you combine those things together and would you supernaturally breathe upon those with so many other creative ideas and so much other wisdom and knowledge that I would be a man or a woman that is known to be godly, known not just for my earthly intelligence and earthly wisdom, but I'm known as a person that does honor God. Let me just hunger for that. Hunger for God's presence in your life. Hunger for God's wisdom, which only God can give. Do your best at what God called you to do. Out of this room, we should have people that are on the boards of all different types of things in our community. Exercising their leadership and making an influence in our community. The church is powerless if all we do is meet inside of these four walls. The power of the church is when we take godly wisdom out into the streets and the highways and byways. When we take godly wisdom onto the school board um, you know, meetings, when we sit on boards like that, when we take godly wisdom into the boardroom of a corporation, when we take godly wisdom you know, in our lives into the home and we raise our kids, when we take godly wisdom out there, that's where the kingdom of God grows. 
We have to realize we got to ask God for it, and it only comes from God. Our temptation is to always go back and to relax and, you know, settle ourselves with what we can understand earthly-wise. But I'm telling you guys, we're facing some things in our culture today, and we're going to face more and more things in our time that you're going to need godly wisdom to navigate. You're going to need godly wisdom to give answers for them. You're going to get tested on a lot of different things in this world if you continue to live your life as a, as a Christ follower. And the way you're going to navigate through that is by humbling yourself today and tomorrow and the day after that and continuing to say, God, if it's left up to me, I crash and burn. May you fill me with godly wisdom. Only God can give it. And God gives wisdom in a lot of different ways. Let me just go through a few of those ways that God gives wisdom. Um, listen, take out a pen and paper if you haven't been writing anything down. You just jot these next few things down. We're going to go through them somewhat quickly, but jot them down. Go back and read them later. These are ways that God gives wisdom. Ways that God gives wisdom. I think you're going to be interested in some of them because what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to take this next list and he's going to give you some thoughts on areas that you might want to be pursuing God for greater wisdom, his wisdom being fleshed out and poured into your life. Ways really that, in the, in the end, ways for you to surrender to God so that God's ways can win out, okay? So take a look at these. The first one is through life experiences. God uses life experiences. Job 12, 12 says that wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. Now, you can go through life and just glean with your own two eyes and what your human and soulish instincts can pick up, or you can go through life and sense what God's Spirit is saying to you. There's many things in this life that God's Spirit is trying to build in us, a wisdom that you're not going to gain just with your own physical eyes and your own soulish desires, which your mind, will, and emotions can figure out. So the, the willingness to say, God, lead me by your spirit. I don't want to just be led by my soul. That's where you're going to start gaining the wisdom that comes from the age and the understanding. The second place that you find God helping to instill wisdom into our lives is the discipline from our parents. And here's what Proverbs 29, 15 says. It says, to discipline a child produces what? Wisdom, right? Uh, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Thank God for my parents who were people of discipline. When they said you crossed that line, you're going to reap the consequences, they followed through. And I believe I am cherishing some of my wisdom in life. Godly wisdom is coming from moments where my parents instilled it in me. And hopefully I did the same thing to my children. So parents that are here, you want to help instill godly wisdom into your children? Bring godly discipline. You bring harsh discipline. You disgrace them in your discipline. You're, you're, going to find that you're going to find your children are going to bring disgrace to you. But if you bring godly, good, healthy, biblical foundations of discipline to your children, you're actually helping to instill the wisdom of God into their life that they're going to reap from and benefit from in the future. Don't withhold discipline from your children when they deserve it. And by all means, don't fall prey to this culture and allow your children to dictate to you how they're going to live. Because you're withholding from them great godly wisdom. Here's another one. The fear of the Lord. So take a look at this in Psalms 111.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of what? True wisdom. All who obey his commands will grow in what? Wisdom. There's no doubt praise him forever. Absolutely. 
But to grow in God's wisdom is to, is to fear the Lord in a way that causes you to obey his ways. So when you gather here every single Sunday and we're preaching out of God's word and we're looking at God's word, when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart about something where your life doesn't line up with God's heart, don't ever ignore that. That's the Holy Spirit attempting to develop in you the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is going to develop wisdom in you. Because when the Holy Spirit challenges you or convicts you of an area of your life where it's not lining up with God's word and you ignore it, then basically you're saying, God, your ways don't matter. I'm going to obey my ways. That doesn't build godly wisdom. When you humble yourself and you come to an altar, like what's in front of our auditoriums, the altars are for the hungry. That's what we say all the time. When you take that conviction piece of the Holy Spirit and you bring it to the altar and you lay your life down, you surrender your life and you say, God, forgive me for being a man or a woman that has disobeyed your word and you challenged me on it, God, and I'm, I'm responding to your conviction, that's developing the, the, the fear of the Lord in you. When you desire to obey God's ways more than man's ways, the fear of the Lord has an opportunity to grow in you. And that means wisdom has an opportunity to grow in you. That's good news, by the way. All right? That's good news. That's great motive for continuing to figure out how to obey God in every area of your life. That's the reason why, guys, you got to be reading God's word. How do you know if your life is really living in the fear of the Lord if you're not reading his word? You don't know. And you're missing out on godly wisdom that God is not trying to withhold from you, but he's trying to pour out on you. Well, there's a couple more really quick. Next one's humility. Here's what Proverbs 11:2 says. It said, pride leads you to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And we brag more on God than we brag on ourselves. When, we, when we're able to say we were wrong, we missed it. Right? That humility that says, I was wrong, I missed it. I'm going to realign myself and I'm going to go do what's right. Because foolishness says that I've made a mistake, but yet I'm going I'm to go down with the sinking boat. Can I just say something to you because I love you? If your boat's sinking, don't go down with the sinking boat. Humble yourself and go, God, rescue me. Don't pridefully stand there until all you can do is gargle out a prayer. Jump off the boat. You were wrong. It's okay. Everybody's going to be wrong. Don't let pride take you down with the boat. Humble yourself and say, God, lead me, guide me. Let me give you one last one that I think is probably my favorite. Recognize life is short. Take a look at this. Psalms 90 verse 12. It says, teach us, basically, Lord, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us the brevity of life. I think why it's probably one of my favorite is because it's the one that we probably want to try to avoid the most. Life is, like the Bible says, a vapor. It's here one moment, it's gone the next. The sooner that you realize you're not trying to build a kingdom on this earth, the faster that the brevity of life is going to soak into you and you're going to grow in godly wisdom. The faster that you stop trying to build your earthly kingdom, your earthly success, your earthly fame, your earthly name, and you start trying to build God's kingdom and God's ways, the brevity of life is okay now. The shortness of life, it's all right. Because God, I'm building something that's for eternity. I'm not building something that's just for this earth. 
God, I realize that I'm not going to live forever, so why am I, you know, orchestrating my life as if I am? I'm not. God, you're the one who gave life. You're the one who takes life. You're the one who put breath in my lungs, and you're the one that's going to take breath from my lungs. I came from the dust, and I'm going to return to the dust. My life is but a vapor. The brevity of it, it is short. The faster you come to the conclusion that you're not living for yourself, but you're living for him, the wiser you and I are going to be. The third essential truth, which is like the block that we're putting into the wall today, is this. Only a fool wouldn't seek godly wisdom. So, before I go on, only a fool wouldn't seek godly wisdom. Which one are you today? Are you like the title of the sermon, a wise guy? <laughs> not, not sarcastic, okay? Don't go sarcastic on me, you wise guy. And it's not that kind of wise guy. A wise guy like Solomon, or are you the fool? If you're the fool, don't go down with the sinking ship. Get off of that pride and start hungering after God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, For the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness to God. As the scripture says, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. So if you're trapped today by your own cleverness, like God's not relevant, like God doesn't care about this scenario in my life, I'll take care of it myself. Or your pride, that this scenario, this, this issue that I'm dealing with, I'm stuck in it and there's no way to get out. If you're, if you're trapped in the snare of your cleverness, today is the day to get off that. Because you and me, we need godly wisdom. We need godly wisdom to navigate the treacherous waters of our culture, to navigate the treacherous waters of our work and our relationships and our finances, to live a godly life. We need God to navigate the waters of this world so we can help others live a godly life. We need godly wisdom. And by the way, if I, if I haven't driven home the fact that you need godly wisdom, then please let this last verse be like the cherry on top of the whole thing. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do! Exclamation mark. The wisest thing you can do today is to humble yourself and to say, God, I don't have all the answers. I need you. The wisest thing that you will do in the span of your entire life, which is short, is going to be a, God, I need your wisdom. In what way do you need God's wisdom today? Let's ponder that for a second. In what way do you need God's wisdom today? What is facing you? What's standing in front of you that you desperately need God's wisdom today for? Now that you've got that piece, what do you think your next move is? Essential truth number two, to recognize only God gives that wisdom. And what's the move after that? Essential truth number one, ask God for it. Goes in reverse. Don't be a fool. Be a wise guy today. In closing, Jesus, Jesus told a parable one day, and he says to them that, you know, basically that the wise who hear my words, who hear God's words, the wise are like those who build a house on the rock. They build it actually on bedrock. And when the storms come and the torrents of rain come against it, it's, it withstands the storm. The foolish man hears the teaching and decides, I'm not doing anything about it. He's like a man who builds his house down by, down by the river, right next to the ocean on the sand. And when the storms come, its whole house gets washed away. Today, would you be wise people? And would you build your life on the solid rock of Jesus? 
Your first move in doing that is surrendering your life to Christ. So if you're hearing my voice today in any of our venues and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, that's your first move. Build your life on the solid rock of Christ because I guarantee you the storms are coming. The storms have already come and there's more to come. And you need to be firmly planted on the solid rock of Christ going, God, you are my source of wisdom. You are my source of life. The second one is during this time of response, this time of worship, is to bring your life before God. Fill, fill the altars with the hungry. Or stand there in worship and cry out to God and profess that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's developing part of the fear of the Lord. That builds wisdom. But as well, bring to God that area where you need wisdom, just like Solomon did. God, I need wisdom for leading your people. Don't generically come to God, I need wisdom. You come to God specifically asking him for areas of your life. You know what that's saying to him? I want to obey you. It's saying, I want to put you first. It's saying that, God, your ways are better than my ways, and I want to honor you. Folks, that's what, that's what real worship is. So as we take this time where our worship teams are going to come to our stages, why don't you stand with me, and let's take it into an attitude of prayer as we respond to a wise, holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you were wise above anyone else. Lord, the people recognized Solomon, and they were in awe of him, and they recognized the wisdom that only you gave him. And Lord, today we stand here at New Life, and we are in awe of your wisdom. And we recognize that you are wise above all things. Lord, there's so many things that you've created even that man still can't figure out. And by the way, man will never figure them all out. Lord, we need your wisdom to honor you. We need your wisdom to follow you. Lord, there's so many people in this congregation that are hearing my voice today that are facing scenarios that are so vast that I can't even attempt to try to label them all out, but yet they're in need of your wisdom today. May we humble ourselves and not be a fool and recognize that only you give it and may we come and ask you specifically for it today. Lord, you're the giver. You're the giver of wisdom to those who ask and who desire to live righteous so that your church would be an instrument of your glory in its community. So Lord, fill our church with godly wisdom that's beyond their years. Fill them with godly knowledge that's beyond what anything they can gain on this earth. And may you do that even during this time of response, this time of worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.